If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Abby Dees. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Steve Pride. Tonight we'll talk to a gay teenager who stood up to the Russian government. Get the 411 on Guidance, a gayish film opening in L.A. on Friday. And talk live in studio with Scott Turner Schofield from The Bold and the Beautiful about his activism, acting career, and being a trans actor in Hollywood. But first, the national and international news from This Way Out. I'm Abby Dees. And I'm Jason Proctor. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending August 22, 2015. A group of masked men invaded a meeting hall in the Ukrainian city of Odessa on August 15th, hurling several smoke bombs at activists as they were about to hold a forum on the state of the country's LGBT rights movement. There have been no arrests, and forum organizers said that no one was hurt. A pride march had been scheduled for that day, but a local court banned it two days earlier, citing the potential for violence. Anti-LGBT thugs disrupted a pride parade in Ukraine's capital of Kiev in June, injuring a dozen people. Leaders of Orthodox, Roman Catholic, and Protestant churches in Odessa and a far-right nationalist group were outspokenly opposed to the march. Socially conservative Ukraine is locked in a bruising confrontation with pro-Russian insurgents in the eastern part of the country and has been seeking closer ties with Europe. Human rights concerns could threaten that effort, however. Even though same-gender sex is not illegal in Ukraine, homophobia runs rampant. Meanwhile, Yeshai Slishel, the Orthodox Israeli Jew who stabbed six people at the Jerusalem Pride March in late July, one of whom later died, was ruled fit to stand trial this week by a court-appointed psychiatrist. Schlissel has refused to cooperate in his own defense, claiming that the court has no authority to judge him. A disciplinary board meeting behind closed doors at the U.S. military prison in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas this week found transgender whistleblower Chelsea Manning guilty of all four charges against her. Medicine misuse, having an expired tube of toothpaste, possession of prohibited property, specifically the Caitlyn Jenner issue of Vanity Fair, and disorderly conduct and disrespecting an officer. She was punished with a 21-day restriction on her activities, including gym, library, and time outdoors. She could have been sentenced to indefinite solitary confinement. Manning, known as Bradley before her self-identified trans status, is reviled by some as a traitor and considered a hero by others, 
for sharing hundreds of classified military files with WikiLeaks that exposed U.S. military incompetence or worse during the Iraq War. According to her attorneys, the convictions can be cited in future hearings involving parole or clemency, and they're expected to significantly delay Manning's requested transition from medium security to minimum security status. No one should have to face the lingering threat of solitary confinement for reading and writing about the conditions we encounter in the world, said her ACLU lawyer, Chase Strongio, in a media statement. Chelsea's voice is critical to our public discourse about government accountability and trans justice. Meanwhile, dozens of activists held a rally in the heavily Latino Boyle Heights neighborhood of East Los Angeles this week to protest escalating violence against transgender and gender nonconforming people in the U.S. They mourned the latest reported victim, Tamara Dominguez of Kansas City, Missouri. She was killed near a church parking lot on August 15th by a man who repeatedly ran her over with his SUV. Los Angeles TV station KTLA captured the concerns of some of the rally participants. Because I am transgender, I really fear about my life. I fear about my safety. I was out apartment hunting, and I hear this voice from the apartment behind me looking at the vacant one saying, you're not living here. This year, 18 trans people have been murdered across the country. We are sending a message that we won't tolerate that kind of violence. We're going to take the streets, and we're going to show whoever's out there that we have power. This is a human rights issue. I mean, uh, people should care. The White House has its first transgender staff person, and she leads a number of firsts this week. Rafi Friedman Gerspen will work in the Office of Personnel as an outreach and recruitment director. She's most recently been a policy advisor for the National Center for Transgender Equality's Racial and Economic Justice Initiative. David Denson, also a person of color, has become the first openly gay player on a team affiliated with Major League Baseball. The 20-year-old first baseman from West Covina, California, was signed by the Milwaukee Brewers and currently plays for Helena in the rookie Pioneer League. Major League Baseball's first ambassador for inclusion, Billy Bean, who came out after his playing days, helped Denson connect with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel newspaper to tell his story. Denson said he was also encouraged by the supportive response from his teammates when he first came out to them. That was a giant relief for me, he said. 27-year-old Batley Bulldogs team captain Keegan Hurst became Britain's first openly gay rugby league player this week. His coming out process was long and painful and left a wife and two children in its wake. His decision to go public, however, has been met with overwhelming support from both his teammates and fans. He expected the worst. I thought I'd be disowned by friends and family, he said. Former World Tennis Association number one women's player and Wimbledon and Australian Open champion Amélie Moresmo is a first-time mom. The out Frenchwoman announced the pregnancy of her wife, Kim Sears, on social media in April. There has been no word yet on the name of the baby boy, born August 16th. Moresmo now coaches Scottish tennis star Andy Murray. He dedicated his win in the finals of the Montreal Masters this week to Moresmo and her new son. But the first openly gay player in the U.S. National Football League and the Canadian Football League has left the game, at least for now. Michael Sam joined the Montreal Alouettes after unsuccessful stints with the St. Louis Rams and the Dallas Cowboys. He took a team-approved two-week leave from Montreal in June, citing personal reasons. Many speculate it was, at least in part, over his split with fiancé Vito Camisano. The intense media attention on Sam, a guy who said he just wants to play football, apparently got to him. 
The last 12 months have been very difficult for me, to the point where I became concerned with my mental health, he tweeted this week. Because of that, I'm going to step away from the game at this time. I thank the Alouettes for the opportunity and hope to be back on the field soon. He returned to the home of his formerly estranged father in Dallas. There are reports that the two have reconciled. And finally, popular out comedian, talk show host, and LGBT rights advocate Ellen DeGeneres had two reasons to celebrate on August 16th. She was named Choice Comedian at the Teen Choice Awards in Los Angeles on the same night that she celebrated her wedding anniversary with proudly applauding actress Portia de Rossi. You know, they say that teens make bad decisions, but you made a very good decision tonight by choosing me. That was smart, 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 all of you. Um, I want to say also it feels good to be chosen, but there was a time in my life that I was not chosen. I was the opposite of chosen and uh, because I was different. And I think I want to make sure that everyone knows that what makes you different right now makes you stand out later in life. So you should be proud of being different. You should be proud of who you are. What an amazing day this is. This is my seven-year wedding anniversary. So happy anniversary. That's News Wrap for the week ending August 22nd, 2015. Produced by Steve Pride written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Abby Dees. And I'm Jason Proctor. You can hear all 30 minutes of This Way Out on free podcasts at thiswayout.org and on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes. You know, one of the perks of doing IMRU is we get to meet some extraordinary people, including a Russian team named Vlad, who, you know, honestly is one of the bravest guys I know. Vladislav Slavsky, a gay high school student living in Russia, risked arrest, or worse, protesting for LGBT rights when the world media arrived in Sochi for the 2014 Winter Olympics. He was later forced to flee his homeland for asylum in the U.S. My name is Vladislav Slavsky, and I'm from Russia. I'm 18 years old, and now I live in West Hollywood. I escaped Russia because I had terrible persecutions against me. You're actually from Sochi, right? From Sochi. I was born in Sochi. When did you know you were gay? When I was 12. But I always was very different from other children, and it made me a lot of problems. I heard homophobic words even before I knew the meaning of that words. What was the atmosphere in Russia when you were 12? And did it change with Putin? Tell me a little bit about the environment you were in. When I was 12, atmosphere was really different. People was homophobic, but government wasn't really homophobic. There was no homophobic laws and other stuff. But now there is homophobia on the government level. And government said that Gays are enemies because they want to blame someone. They want to say to people why life is not so good. Because Putin is the best president, how they think, but life's still not so good. And they found enemy to blame. 
they blame gays, Americans, Europeans, and they say that all problems because of gays, Americans, and Europeans. In that atmosphere, when did you come out and why? Because it's very dangerous. First, I came out to my mom when I was 14. I told her that I'm gay and I explained why I feel so. But she said that it's temporary condition. I'm not gay. It happens sometimes to some people and I just should wait when I will be older. I came out because I was tired of silence. I exactly knew that I'm okay, that nothing bad with me. I knew that society is sick, not me. And I was tired of the silence. What were the repercussions? What happened with people at school and friends and society? When I came out to my mom first time, she didn't believe. I came out second time when I was 15, and she still didn't believe. And when I said it when I was 16, it was a huge explosion of emotions. For two weeks, we didn't speak. And maybe two days, I stayed at my mom's place. And then I moved because she told me very, very bad stuff, like, I hate you and other stuff. And I escaped for two weeks, and then she called me and said, I'm sorry, and she accepted me. About school, the first time people knew about me at school, it was when I was 16. I was in 10th grade, and someone hacked my social media account and found that I'm gay. There was terrible bullying, really terrible. And I had a lot of problems with the teachers. It was really terrible because people split on me and they tried to kick me and they said really bad homophobic words. Everybody knew that I'm gay and everybody hate me. When I came to director of school, and said about my situation, she said that it's okay. Because when they found that information, I told them, yes, I'm gay. And director of school, she said that I have to write in my social media account that I'm not gay. But I said, I don't want to lie. And she said, I don't care. Then she blamed me that her 12-year-old daughter asked her what is gay. I stopped going to school and I found that I can't study at home. I started to receive threats and one day, in the middle of the day, about five minutes from my home, I was attacked by ten teenagers. They screamed homophobic and neo-Nazi slogans. They said that I must die and they started throw stones. But I escaped, and I ran away. Then, in the evening, when I was coming back to my home, some strangers appeared from the bushes. They hide their faces with masks and started saying, Hi, Hitler. And then they started saying, like, Faggot, you must die. And they throw glass bottles and stones. One of them, he caught me, he got 
plastic bottle full of urine and throw it on my head and on my body. Another person, he took off his pants and said, he's going to fix me. And then I started screaming. They started kicking me and I fell down from the stairs and I ran away. I was so depressed and I thought about suicide. On the next day, I went to the police station and said about that situation, how I was attacked and how they tried to rape me. Police officers, they was laughing and said, it's okay because you are faggot. You must be happy that we didn't beat up you too. Go away and never come back. We will never help you because we hate facts. Then I realized that nobody can help me. When I was in 11th grade, in 2013, on June 1st, it was my first protest against homophobia in the street. It was protest against homophobia for international community before Olympic Games. I was with slogan, help us, Russia kills us. And this picture was published in Poland journal and then it was published on Facebook in some human rights pages. Then the director of school, she said that it's impossible to study at home last year. 11th grade, it's last year in Russia. She said that I have to come back to school. It was nightmare. I thought about suicide every day. That school was like building of hate. It was impossible. And then I realized that guys again with me in the bushes and they started attacking me again. How old were you? I was 17. And that time I already had some interviews with international media in August 2013. It was my first interview with Washington Post. I decided to speak out because I couldn't stay silent. I wanted to let people know about that terrible situation in Russia. And it was time when homophobic law already was passed and situation was getting worse and worse and worse. I also, in the summer 2013, I went to another city and I had protests there. There was like solidarity protest. There was a victim of homophobic people. They murdered him, raped him with bottles and killed him. Throw huge stone on his head and they killed him. Then I had more interviews with international medias, with uh, some journalists. And I felt like I'm human because they was coming from another country, from countries which tolerate to LGBT, and I started feeling like I'm human. I worked a lot in social medias about Olympic Games, about boycott of Olympic Games and other stuff. I wrote a lot of information about the situation with human rights in Russia. Before the Olympic Games, I had a lot of interviews, and I met with Amnesty International, with uh, other people... And then after Olympic Games, situation 
started becoming worse and worse in Russia. My good friend, who I protested with him a lot, and we also worked in the social medias together about human rights, Russian Federal State Security Department came to his home and they said that he's an extremist. It was about maybe April 2014. And they didn't arrest him for the first time because they had to fill some papers and other stuff. Then I was invited to New York for Gay Pride. June 30, I went to Moscow to the United States Embassy to get my visa to come to New York. And last day I've been to Moscow, my friend who was accused of extremism, he called me and said that Russian government is going to put him to jail. And when a Russian state security department asked him questions, he asked them about me and they already knew my name and they said that they are going to arrest me when I turn 18 and then I understood that I'm going to New York not just for gay pride but I'm going to New York for sick asylum because I don't want to go to jail if gay person go to jail in Russia he will be raped and then he will be killed and a lot of people was arrested after Olympic Games for LGBT activism, for activism against Putin, for supporting the human rights. And, and when I came to New York, I was so happy because I understood that I'm not in hell anymore. It's like I moved from hell to heaven. Well, tell me about gay pride. What was that like that day after being in a repressed society to suddenly see hundreds of thousands of gays and lesbians dancing in the streets. I realized that I can be myself. I can be who I am and not afraid anymore. I realized that I'm not hunted animal anymore. I was so happy. This has been a conversation with Vladislav Slavsky. With the help of Billie Jean King, whom he met in Sochi, Vlad is now enrolled at Cal State LA, where he majors in the English language. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. Update. Vlad got married to his college boyfriend this last January, and after graduation, they plan to live in Iowa. Causing Abby and Wenzel to go, what? Iowa? <laughs> but you know what? I what do think two years ago, it was a very different place in his life. A, I know. And Iowa's a, Iowa's a welcoming place now. I, I hear, I'm really struck, too, by what he said, that there was homophobia before, but it didn't come from the very top. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is such a lesson in when the government kind of gives its blessings to homophobia, how that absolutely reverberates in people's daily actions. You know, something we didn't really get into in this conversation, but we talked later about it, was there is a lot of people being tricked, young gay kids being tricked on social media to meet up with a potential boyfriend for mm-hmm. a date. And it's just a neo-Nazi that's going to beat them 
kill them or rape them. I just wonder, though, from the size of the school that he went to, was there not one other gay child there that would... Well, if there he was... He really did sound like he was the only one in the whole universe. Well, the only one that was out. Yeah. And the only gay in the village. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but you know what? I'm sure his being uh, out made a difference to those other ones who I know are he's there. He's a great guy. Well, still to come, my conversation with Pat Mills, the writer, director, and star of the film Guidance. And we'll be joined in studio, actually, he's already in studio, by trans actor Scott Turner Schofield from The Bold and the Beautiful. We'll be right back. Meg Christian, lesbian music pioneer, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. Born in 1946 and growing up in Lynchburg, Virginia, Meg Christian was one of the first to address lesbian and feminist issues in her songs. Fired up over disrespectful treatment of feminist performers, Meg focused her repertoire on songs about women in a loving, honest, positive way. Her activity in the feminist movement gave her a sense of empowerment and inclusion. In 1973, she met Chris Williamson, and together with others, they founded the all-woman company Olivia Records. Meg's impressive skills as a songwriter, guitarist, and singer produced hits such as Ode to a Gym Teacher and Leaping Lesbians, both anthems to the lesbian community. She also toured extensively, playing at music festivals and concerts. She sometimes shared the stage with Holly Near and Old Flame. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia and read by volunteers like me, Mary Gay Hutcherson. Hello, I'm Vlad Slavsky, and you're listening to IMRU Radio Magazine on KPFK-FM, 90.7 Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 99.5 Ridgecrest China Lake, 93.7 San Diego, or streaming online at kpfk.org. Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I am Steve Pride. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Abby Dees. You know, many of the films I see at Outfest and at Frameline never make it into the proverbial theater near me. So I'm thrilled that one of my favorites this year, Guidance, is opening Friday in WeHo. (laughs) 
Pat Mills is a triple threat, and his debut film, Guidance, is one of the funniest of the year. You drunk again? Uh, no, I just had a little drink at lunch. It's 9.30 in the morning. So, I don't judge when you eat lunch. And it manages to balance the laughter with a surprising degree of thoughtfulness and authenticity. My name is Pat Mills. I'm the writer, director, and actor of a film called Guidance. The film is about a 30-something former child actor who has a drinking problem, and he's broke and needs a job. But he doesn't have any skills, so he fakes a resume and assumes the identity of a high school guidance counselor. And then he gets hired by a high school, and he gives really terrible advice to teenagers. And he can relate to them on a level that most adults can't, because he's very immature. I'm not your typical guidance counselor. I'm actually going to help you. Can you help me with... My shyness? It's with boys, right? I want a boyfriend, but I don't know how to, you know. What kind of boys do you like? I'm attracted to dumb people. I may have inherited it from my mom <laughs> or my dad. You know, it's hard to know who. They're both idiots. I have the exact same problem you have. You like dumb guys? No, straight as an arrow here. Oh, actually, I took archery at camp, and arrows aren't straight. They're pretty flexible, and they bend a lot when they're in flight. Okay, I'm saying I'm shy. Oh. What inspired the film? I created an alter ego out of myself. So he shares similar psychological issues that I might have, but he deals with them in a very, very, very destructive way. I'd like to think that he's my twin that was dropped a lot as a child. <laughs> well, speaking of child, he's a child star. Where did that come from? Well, I used to be a child actor myself, and there's something that happens when you stop being cute and you go through your awkward phase as a teenager and then nobody wants to hire you. But you've sort of been spoiled by having all this attention, and there's something happens psychologically where you think you've already peaked professionally and creatively because you've already kind of hit that goal, but you were only 12 or 11 or whatever. So then you kind of go into adulthood, and a lot of kids who are child actors just can't transition because they're given all this attention and almost like they have this like indestructible way of living their life and then it gets taken away and they don't know what to do and they panic and they're not prepared for a regular life they're prepared for fame and that does not prepare anybody for life so they just fizzle out or they get into drugs or drinking self-medication or really sadly suicide which has happened so I of course am not going to be making a dark movie about that a hard-hitting drama I love dark comedies so I wanted to make fun of it I wanted to make fun of myself and I just wanted to make one of those comedies that goes to places that you don't think that it should but it does anyway and I was really inspired by films like Election and Welcome to the Dollhouse and Young Adult all of those really great punk rock comedies that just go to these really amazingly dark places that seem really inappropriate. What was the hardest part of doing the film? And more importantly, since it was slightly based on you, what did you discover about yourself? What was your biggest surprise? The hardest part of making the film was being in it because I hadn't acted in 25 years. I hadn't done any acting since I was a kid. And I didn't realize how insecure I was going to be. And I wasn't 
I didn't realize how dependent I was going to be on compliments. And the director's job is to like make the actor feel safe. But because I was directing myself, I didn't, I'm not somebody who like talks himself up all the time. I talk myself down. So I thought I was doing an absolutely terrible job in ruining the movie. And the first three or four days, I was like, this is the worst decision I've ever made in my entire life. And I actually had to tell my producer to tell me I was doing an okay job. Like I needed her to say, oh, that was good, Pat. Good, good scene. You were good and you were acting well there. Because I, because I didn't have anyone telling me that, I thought I was doing a terrible job. I didn't realize how insecure I was going to be. And then once I kind of got into it, once we shot a lot of the scenes in the guidance office, I really started to love the process. So then I gained confidence. So it was like a roller coaster ride of self-esteem. Like at the very beginning, I thought I was terrible. By the end of it, I was like, I can do this. I'm good at this. So it was just this like down and up, kind of a bipolar creative experience making my film. The main character is in denial, but obviously gay. Yet this is not a gay niche film. I didn't want it to be overt, and I'm glad that different types of people are enjoying it for different reasons. Because it does have a gay sensibility, but it's not necessarily gay. It's about self-acceptance, not necessarily about coming out. How has the gay artistic male sensibility affected you? I became a storyteller. I became an artist in my formative years around 13, 14, 15. I didn't have any friends in that period too. So I spent a lot of time just thinking and developing a sense of humor and developing a sensibility because I had no one to, I was so shy that I just kind of created that I marinated in myself for so long and I think that created it and in terms of a gay sensibility I think that it's because you deal with so much repression and there's something bothering you about yourself when you're growing up you kind of have to survive by creating a sense of humor and I think that the gay sensibility is usually a dark sensibility it's usually a, they like nasty humor or things that are inappropriate, th- things are overtly sexual, sometimes it's annoying, <laughs> you know what I mean? But there's something about like pushing back against the repression. And it's usually a lot larger than another comedic sensibility just because it's so, it's the pressure cooker. It's the same thing. It's like, I've been pushing this down for so long that now I'm just going to explode it at you. I think that that's a big part of it. What do you want the audience to take away from your film? I want people to walk away having had a good time, but I also want them to recognize or hope that it's affected them on a level that they weren't expecting a comedy to. And while there are parts of the film that are broad and silly, there's also some pretty, like, deep, dark places. It allows them to see something that they haven't necessarily seen before. This has been a conversation with Pat Mills, the writer, director, and star of Guidance. Find more information online at guidancethefilm.com. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. I want you to repeat after me. I have power. I have power. I love myself. I love myself. Okay, you guys did a really good job. I just want to take this opportunity to let you know that I'm massively attracted to the three of you right now, and I can say that because I love myself. I also want to let you know that Midnight Express is one of my favorite movies, so if you ever want to take a shower, I consider my body to be a very spiritual place, but I'm not very choosy about what goes in it. That is such a fun movie, and it's playing at the Sunset Five of WeHo. 
Sunset or Sundance? Sundance. Sundance. I don't. I get confused. I know. I don't leave the house. They don't come out. Love you. So and Sundance I'm with you on that yeah, yes. That's for my barbarous, which obviously I haven't been there in a long time. It has been a while. And that's the magic of radio. Well, speaking of magic, Winslow and I went to the Hollywood History Museum's VIP Indeed night about the, the opening of the LGBT exhibit. And there were a lot of celebrities there, including... One of those hot blonde soap opera stars from it's the bold and beautiful all over. that the I pushed the into street. a corner and started interviewing because he plays a transgender character. And I actually asked, so how did you prepare? Do you know transgender people? Did you seek them out? And he said, Steve, I am transgender. <laughs> and he is here with us tonight, Scott Turner Schofield. Schofield. We got it. Hello, Scott. Hello. Nice to be here. Thank you. This has been really hard because we've been chatting with Scott through the entire show. And like we're like, no, shut up because we've got this so interesting. (laughs) Let's go to the the, the meat of the steak or whatever we're going to call it. You play Nick on The Bold and the Beautiful. I'm going to play a quick clip. You can explain the clip and explain how it fits into the plot. Okay. No one understands like you do. What's going on? When did you tell Chris? I mean, how far into your relationship? Third date, when it became clear we were taking things to the next level. Your guy doesn't know? Not yet. Don't you live together? It's okay, there's no, there's no mandatory timeline. Okay, well, I've, I've given myself one. If he proposes, I want to tell him. That's a good idea. Now tell me about your character and tell me about this other character. So the woman that you heard was the actress Carla Mosley, and she plays one of the leading ladies of The Bold and the Beautiful, Maya Avant. And um, Maya has been a character on the show for about two years. And um, probably six or eight months ago, the producers of the show decided that they wanted to make Maya transgender. Um, She is a straight woman involved in a love, mad love, passionate affair with um, one of the leading men in the show, uh, Rick. And um, he was going to propose to her. Um, At the same time, her sister showed up on the scene and um, threatened to tell everyone, um, threatened to to out Maya as transgender. She said, I know you used to be Myron. Dun, dun, dun. And, um, you know, the show, what was amazing about the show was they, you know, yes, they jumped on the transgender bandwagon, bandwagon. Like, I wish transgender was as cool now as it was when I was a kid. Right. But I think it's so cool. Um, but they they wanted to do it right. And so because they had no idea when they brought Carla onto the show, when they made the Maya character that they were going to do this, they were like, okay, so Maya is going to be, the transgender woman is going to be played by a cisgender actress. Cisgender, by the way, is what everybody else who's not trans is, right? You're all cis people as far as I know, right? Yes. Um, and so so she's going to be a cisgender person. That's cool. But let's get a transgender actor to come in and play her best friend. Um, and so they did this search, and they found me, um, and I got incredibly lucky. Um, and so Nick comes on, and he kind of helps translate everything to the viewing public. And and your character is Nick. Yes, that's okay. my character. Um, and what I love so much about the clip that you chose, and that was such a brilliant clip to choose, because we one of the things that The Bold and the Beautiful did so well was they 
teased out the difference between coming out as gay, lesbian, bisexual, queer, um, and disclosing that you're transgender, because it's not actually the same thing. Um, what happens, like, we come out because we're in a closet, right? We, we've been put into a closet by society. We don't want to, you know, we're afraid. We have whatever we're, whatever issues, right? Um, but at some point, we decide we're going to come out. We're going to tell everyone, and um, we're going to live our truths. Now, a transgender person knows deep inside of themselves what their truth is. Whether they know it from birth or they figure it out a little later, that's what we know about ourselves. That is our truth. My truth is I'm a guy. I always have been. You can see the photographs. Even when I was a girl, I was a guy. People are like, you look like a drag queen. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's so sweet when I say it to a right? child. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Mom. Um, <laughs> but a pretty drag queen. <laughs> right? My pretty little drag queen. Um, and... You know, you were you you've been very open with pictures of you as a young girl in high school, still a guy, but you were presenting as a, a you were in the homecoming court. Right, I was. I was almost homecoming queen. And a lot of people do not are not comfortable with having those pictures out there. A lot of people aren't because, again, like I said, you're living your truth, and to show the pictures of yourself before is showing the lie that you had to live your whole life. I, however, went through. I, I was educated as a feminist, and so I, before I transitioned, loved myself, lo you know, really learned how to love my, my body as a female person and all of these things. I knew that there was something, like, not quite right, but I still didn't have the word for it. I didn't – I knew that transgender women existed, but I had no images of transgender men anywhere. So I, it was a long process. I was 20 years old before I ever even learned that trans men existed. Um, and so, you know, that was that was this – you know, that was this thing of like I'm not going to put away the fact that I was a woman. I love the fact that I was a woman. In fact, having been a woman made me the strong man I am today. Um, I just am a man today, and thank goodness I can, I can live my truth now. And if I walk into a room and I don't tell you that I'm trans, for instance, I was on a show called The Conveyor Belt of Love. It had a pilot and series finale all at the same time. Um, <laughs> this was back in 2009, I think. Um, and I had to do it. It was like called The Conveyor Belt of Love. How can you not do this, right? It was who a dating show. And they had like 30 guys who had a minute on a conveyor belt to convince the women to date them. And I got picked. <laughs> right. And I never once said that I was trans. And it turned out I didn't get picked for the whole thing. I got picked at the beginning. And then right at the end, she she cut me for some other DB. And, um, <laughs> but right after that show aired, and it aired right before the uh, season finale of The Bachelor that year. So it was like a big deal. Um, all of a sudden, everybody's like, why didn't you tell? Why didn't you da da da? And I was like, I had just been on a conveyor belt in front of the girl, along with all these other men no who didn't have to say that they were male or what their, you know, genitals look like. Like, we needed to get to know each other a little more. There's no lying. There's no deception involved. If She liked me. She liked what I had to say in one minute or less. Therefore, she picked me, you know, and... You know, I would have had the con – I personally would have had the conversation with her before we went further, but – When I was speaking of this conversation, because the, I noticed in the uh, clip from Bold and the Beautiful when, when the actress goes, Chris, how long did it take? And it's like, Chris, that's so gender neutral. Has that character been established or do we not know – We don't know what, about So Nick. we know nothing about Chris. Mm -hmm. We just we, know we that there's know a Chris, Chris in Nick's lives. That, that, yeah, that there was at least at one point a Chris. We don't know. I mean, I've been reading the slash fiction and – no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you have a preference as to which way they go with that Chris character? Or 
Well, I don't know about Chris so much as Nick. You know, my preference is always about Nick, right? Um, and, you know, for me, Actors. I think, I know, it's all about me. Hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think um, it would be great because, you know, Maya Avant is a transgender woman of color who is heterosexual. She's now, we did the first ever marriage with a transgender bride. Um, and, um, you know, so she's she represents that world, and I think it would be cool. Uh, you know, I don't know what the writers are going to do, but I think it could be cool if Nick was all, was gay. You know, and and kind of we had to work that because people go, wait, so he became a man so he could be with men. I don't, but gay men—that's different. I didn't become a he didn't become a man so that he could be with straight men. There's a lot of confusion in some communities about gender versus sexuality. Yeah. Yes, and you said when we were chatting before we went, the red light came on. Um, you said that the producers and the writers of the show seem to be really hip to this, or at least they really are open to exploring this very truthfully and looking at that stuff. Like, they don't seem to be freaked out by it at all. Not even one bit. And it's so, I'm I'm just so in awe of the big risk that Bradley Bell, the executive producer, took. And, and also, like, the whole group of people, everybody from PR to, you know, crew, everybody was so behind this and was like, I didn't have to educate a single person. I can barely go through a day when I don't have to educate a single person, like to walk on to a set and have everybody be, I get it. We know what we're doing. You know, are you comfortable was the only question they ever asked. And brave. I mean, brave because they're a commercial operation. Right. And to take a risk like that and to put a transgender actor, an actual transgender actor into into any role whatsoever was... I don't know how that's brave, honestly, but I guess in our culture it is. For Hollywood? And guess what? Can we just say rating spike? OMG. <laughs> well, but when you talk about educating people, it's more than a rating spike and, and stunt casting. I mean, you have actually touched many, many lives out there in the TV viewing world because soap operas are what middle America watches. And people- they're like 30 million viewers? Globally. Mm-hmm. We're going we're gonna to be in Poland, South Africa. I mean, it's un- it's unreal. So what has the feedback been from viewers? I mean, in- just beautiful. So many people reaching out. And I've gotten a lot of those those messages that you open up and you just start to sort of flood with tears about it because, you know, I had one kid say, I, you know, he was like, I've been trans and I can't really like talk to my mom at all because she doesn't understand me. And now she has you. And he's an FTM. Again, like this is the thing about female to male to male folks like myself. We disappear in a certain way. Um, And so no one knows what we are. They think, you know, oh, you're just like some kind of freak or you you know what I mean? So so to have somebody who's out there, you know, like they, that they made Nick a character, that they let me play him, you know, that that suddenly this young person, 16 years old, has a way to speak to their own mother about about this issue. It was um you know, that I, I think about him all the time and I just always hope that like his mom got something from the show because they did it so right, you know. So and, and what I like so much about it too is um, you know, they they brought in Maya's parents and her parents had a very difficult time. She ran away from home, the whole sort of situation. And they allowed there to be it wasn't all just like hunky dory, everybody's fine with this. Like her father, Julius, who was played by Oba Babatunde, um, from Dream Girls, like original Dream Girls, was amazing, amazing. 
Um, <laughs> but, you know, he tried. He was like, okay, I'm going to get on board with you. You're my baby girl. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. And he couldn't, you know. He And right, of course, in the middle of the wedding, right, because that the dramatic timing. But he couldn't do it. And that's real. There are people who can't, who just can't. But what I love so much about it was in showing that, they showed that the family was torn apart not by the daughter being transgender but by the father's inability to accept her. That's what tore the family apart. Well, that's real. True, right? Wow. I wonder if Steve and I could go on and play Nick's parents, <laughs> which would explain so much. <laughs> I love it. Yes, yes. We were talking Just a little a bit before we started here about the difficulty sometimes in some casting situations for trans actors to be considered for non-trans role for cisgender roles. Yes. That's still a prejudice out there. Yes. And I don't know if it's a prejudice. Like, I don't, I always believe the best in everybody. You know, I get that we're a society that's not educated, right? And I get that, particularly for FTMs again, like, we're not, you don't get it. Like, you, you're like, what are, when I say I'm transgender, people think, oh, so do you do drag as a woman? Like, what is your, you know, because they, they're like, my, my mom's next door neighbor was like, it's such a shame he's becoming a woman because he's such a gorgeous man. You know what I mean? Like, they just don't have any clue, you know? So, and that's, you know, you, got, you can only do better once you know. Right. Um, And I almost want to, like, shoot out my TED talk to, like, Hollywood in general, you know, and be like, please, like, get this. What's the gist of your TED talk? The gist of my TED talk is is really like I go through and just in a very one on one way that appeals to mainstream people, even really super conservative people. What all these, you know, sex, gender and sexuality, what are those concepts? How are they separate? Because they are completely separate. And and how do people live them? And the just the kind of thrust of it is, it's not so much about your label, though those are helpful. It's about your story and who you are, right? But let me give you all these labels so that you get it, right? <laughs> because my managerial and agent team, you know, they're having a hard time now. I've got, you know, 14 episodes under my belt with Bold and the Beautiful, really doing well there. People love my character. Um, and they're having a hard time when they say, we got this transgender guy and he's blowing up on CBS and it's so great, you know. And the casting director's like, so wait, he's a woman? I don't Is he what? He's becoming a woman? I don't understand. And then they're, they can't do it. And for a group, for an industry that prides itself on being visionary. Well, they say they had a lot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want a little more visionary. But I know I'm in the same group as people of color, people with disabilities, like, I know that that is something that everybody who's a little bit different has to go through, and and I'm excited to be here at the frontier of it to hopefully change it for everybody, you know, for the best. And your TED Talk, while being very educational, and it it sort of takes you by the hand and says it's okay to be confused because there's a lot of of terms out there. But I was intrigued uh, as another part of your outreach, your show, uh, Debutante Balls. Mm -hmm. Can you touch on that? Because all I've got is the title and the poster. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's on video on demand on on Vimeo. Oh. Um, So you can, and it's like $2.99. It's really fun. Um, And um, that was my second solo show. I attended three Debutante Balls in a dress. And a Debutante Ball is like a really fancy party that tells people that you're ready to be married. But they call it coming out 
you you make this is your coming out process. It's hilarious, but it's for straight girls. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, ostensibly straight girls. Let's be real. Um, <laughs> like, um, but it, so it's a total comedy um, about all of the funny things that happened when I was first a lesbian and then a feminist and then a transgender guy coming out at these debutante balls wearing a leopard print dress. Is that even allowed? I see. I came from Jessica McClintock, so I thought that meant it was classy. Oh. Okay, we need to compare notes afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> what part of Kentucky are you from? <laughs> That's the thing about gender. You don't know you're doing it wrong until you're like actively doing it wrong. I, I do love that, you know, you've talked about being at, like at a frontier and you did this TED Talk that's sort of gently holding people's hands. You have a very sweet attitude about this. Like you're okay with people stumbling along a bit as long as they move forward. Yes, as long as you, you, you get two weeks with me. Okay. And if after two weeks, I'll cut you. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, you know, but I just look, I know it's hard. Like, and I'm one of the very lucky people who my family accepted me. It was hard for them for about a year. Um, it was it was very difficult. And I did was I was like, am I going to have to leave my family? Like, is this what's going to happen? And eventually they figured it out. And um, I've never I haven't lost anybody in my life that I didn't want to lose. Let's be real. Um, <laughs> you know, but and so because of that privilege that I have, I want to help other people, even people who are anti, you know, I want to help people so that they really can turn around and accept people because it's simply a matter of knowledge and about assembling it in your own mind and getting comfortable with it. And I will hold everybody's hand, anybody's hand to do that, you know. Hey, there you go. Hey. <laughs> hand holding were happening hand right holding. now. Yeah. Yes. We were running out of time, so for people that want more information about you and your projects, is there a place they can go? I, I have a website, scotttscofield.com, little dashes in there. Um, I mean, you can just look me up, just Scott Turner Schofield, and you'll find me on all of the social medias, and um, please be a friend. And watch the TED Talk. Yes, do watch yeah. the TED Talk. It's really good, yeah. <laughs> it's highly fashion educational. tips for your coming out, though. <laughs> I know. I can't wait to go get the thing for two ninety. Well, thank you very much, Scott, thank for, you for stopping by here. Thank you for having me, and thanks for doing this show. It's a great show. Well, that's the end of our ride. Gather your personal courage, take timid politicos by the hand, and exit to the far, far left of the tram's forward motion. Our thanks to tonight's director, Michelle Marie Gilkison, coordinating Yay. producer Steve Pride, and our Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. And you can follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio, where the link to the latest show is posted by noon every Tuesday. The KPFK Summer Fun Drive is over. Yay. We'll be starting another one in two weeks. Mm -hmm. Our thanks to everyone who pledged their support. And I want to say something very quickly because we're running out of time about the fun drive. Some people have said, well, it seems like you guys are always in fun drive. This one was extended because we weren't getting enough money. It's amazing how we squeeze every dime here. I mean, I bring my own toilet paper sometimes. This is... Don't think we don't appreciate that. Yeah, we that. do. Yeah. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, don't wait for a fun drive to support this station. We'll take your money anytime, and then we'll have to do the fun drives. In fact, so I have some tips. So besides going to kpfk.org to give us your money, you can also support us by using your cell phone. It's super easy. Just donate $10 by texting KPFK, text KPFK to 20222. $10. Pardon? How do I do that again? You text KPFK to 20222. Two two two. Remember room two twenty two. Yeah. Twenty, two twenty two. Well done. And a shout out to Miss Barbecue who couldn't be with us tonight. She turns 
18 again tomorrow. And we're going to close with a song from Scott Free that just seems right tonight. It's called Happy Pride Day Moscow. Good night. night. Happy Pride Day Moscow. Smoke bombs like an outdoor circuit party. Tales of the scene from a gay porno movie. Had to come up for some twirling rubber batons. Happy Pride Day Moscow. Rocket flares like disco spotlights. Right here like leather ball on fetish night. Marching in with grenades all over the parade. Happy Pride Day Moscow.